I want to welcome all of you here this morning. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1. We're going to take a break from our series in the, in the book of Psalms. And uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to turn our attention and focus our attention on Advent and focus our attention on preparing our hearts to become ready for Christmas. And I would just ask you this morning, are you ready for Christmas? I mean, are you, are you getting there? Are you getting ready for Christmas? That's the real question. Are we getting there? Are our hearts getting prepared for Christmas? You know, Advent season is marked with, with anticipation. It's marked with, with waiting, um, waiting for the celebration of the birth of Christ and, and also for His second coming. That's also a part of Advent. It's not simply looking forward to, to Christmas and celebrating it as, as a time when Jesus was born, but it is also something that helps us to look forward to His second coming as well. And so this year what I want us to do is observe this season by, by examining Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, the first part of it, in which we are presented with, with two birth announcements that come from the same angel, from angel Gabriel. You've got two birth announcements in this, in this passage that we're going to be looking at. You've got the birth of, of two baby boys to two very unlikely mothers. That, that occurs in Luke 1 and in Luke 2. And then you have three songs that are sung. Songs of celebration as a result of those births. And so I want you to know that is ample enough material to keep us engaged for four solid weeks right there. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at those birth announcements, those births, and those songs as they prepare our hearts for the celebration and the worship of Christ at Christmas. Now I want to just go ahead and admit to you right up front, Advent is always a tough time for me. Advent is one of those seasons of the year that's always posed a problem for me because, well, quite frankly, I have very little patience. I'm not a very patient person. Most people who know me would tell you that waiting is not my forte. It's not something that I'm really blessed with. I want to go ahead and do things. Let's get them now. I'm not big on, on thinking about things way out in the future. I'd rather just go ahead and get them over with and let's go after it. Uh, so so this, is, this is a tough thing. It, just getting ready for Christmas at times is difficult for me. And yet waiting, waiting is part and parcel to being human, isn't it? Waiting is just part. I remember when I was in the Navy, the phrase that we said that was, that was the most important one to know was that you needed to hurry up and wait. That's what we did. And I didn't like it then and I still don't like it, but that's what we did. We had to hurry up and wait for everything. But the scriptures tell us that, that that is part of what life is all about. In fact, all of creation has to wait. The scriptures tell us in Romans 8 verse 22 that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together as it awaits its redemption. There's a waiting that's there. There's a, there's a groaning and waiting for that. That means that, that as believers, we too find ourselves in that waiting process. I like how Timothy Paul Jones has put it. He says, In Advent, Christians also embrace the groaning, recognizing it not as hopeless whimpering, but as expectant yearning for the divine banquet Jesus is preparing for us. Just as the ancient Israelites awaited the coming of the Messiah in flesh, we await the coming of the Messiah in glory. In Advent, believers confess that the infant who drew his first ragged breath between the virgin's knees has yet to speak his final word. Oh, but speak he will. 
He will speak and he will return in power and in glory. And the scriptures tell us that when he does, he should find his children with their heads not, not hidden in anxiety over the troubles that we face. He should not find ourselves with our heads bowed low over the, the issues and the cares that we carry with us, but rather he should find us with our heads lifted up and looking to him who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 21 verse 28, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draweth nigh. And what that means is that with Advent is added not just the idea of waiting, it's the idea of anticipation. We're not just waiting, we're waiting for something grand and glorious to occur. It is the hope and the expectation of something God-sized something that only he could accomplish. And so we wait. And as we do, we anticipate what is, is, is to come. Is, is really it heightens our, our faith in what the Lord is going to do. It increases our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, I would suggest to you that we must guard against everything that works against that taking place in our lives. I've read numerous advice gurus who, maybe you have too, who've said, that, that their advice to us in order to be able to live happy lives is just don't set your expectations too high. If you don't set your expectations too high, then you won't be disappointed. And if you won't, you're not going to be disappointed in those people that will fail you around you because they're inevitably going to do that. And so you can only really trust in yourself. And so just kind of keep your expectations properly set and don't set them too high. And I want you to know that's not what the Scriptures tell us. The scriptures don't tell us that. The Scriptures tell us, yes, that we wait. The Scriptures tell us that, yes, we have great expectations. And in fact, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21, he says, Now to him who is able to listen, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In other words, our expectations are to be even greater. We expect God to do things in our lives that's even greater than anything we can imagine. Brothers and sisters, the Advent season reminds us to guard our hearts against impatience, yes, but it also directs us to guard ourselves against setting our expectations too low and to guard against losing our hope and our faith in the Lord Jesus to do all that he has promised that he will do. Now that's a lot of introduction, but I want you to think about that and let it be ruminating in your mind as we turn our attention to the passage that's in front of us this morning. We come face to face here in Luke's gospel, right straight out of the gate, we come face to face with what it means to have, and to have patience, to what it means to wait. We come face to face with the reality of disappointment when our expectations are not met in the way that we expected them to be met. Straight out of the gate, we, we begin to see that, that we come face to face with an issue of faith. Faith that must triumph over doubt. All of those things show up in the opening story of Luke's gospel in which Luke tells us about a man and his wife, a man named Zacharias and Elizabeth. And this morning we read about Angel Gabriel's first birth announcement in Luke's gospel. So if you've got your Bibles open there, begin reading with me in verse 5 where Luke tells us this. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, 
a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient of, to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. You notice, you notice he was a smart man too, right? He said he was old. Elizabeth was just well advanced in years. You can keep that for later. Verse 19, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his services were accomplished that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived... And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days which he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Brothers and sisters, this is a word of God for the people of God. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. Now we pray that you would bless it, use it to speak to us. We pray your words are truth. Now sanctify us by that truth in Christ's name. Amen. As I mentioned in my introduction, this passage really presents us with a number of weighty matters. Um, issues such as disappointment, faith, waiting, unmet expectations, and others. They're all wrapped up here. We're introduced to these concepts by observing what Luke tells us about Zacharias and Elizabeth. These were, these were a, a man and a woman who were both descendants of priests. Luke lays that out for us there. Uh, they are a couple, as Philip Graham Rackin has, has uh, described them, they are, they're kind of like an old country preacher and, and his wife who are both still active 
in ministry, and, and they're nearing the age of retirement. If you want to think about it along those ways, that's probably a pretty good, accurate representation of, of, of Zacharias and Elizabeth. And, and, and on your outline this morning, I, what I've done is I've tried to just provide you with some simple and hopefully somewhat memorable uh, little thoughts that kind of will help us as we move our way through this text. I think they kind of stand on their own, and they're good to ponder as you think back on them, but they also kind of describe the, the way that we're going to push our way through the text this morning. And so the first one that I want you to see is really descriptive of, of Zacharias and Elizabeth, but I think it also should be helpful for us today. And the first point that I want you to notice today is simply this. Brokenhearted does not mean bitterhearted. Brokenhearted does not mean bitterhearted. Listen, Elizabeth and, and Zacharias, they were not bitterhearted. You want to know how we know that? Well, we know it by what we learn about them in verse 6. Luke tells us that they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now, this doesn't mean that they were perfect and without sin. Let's establish that up front. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes Zacharias and Elizabeth. That's not what Luke is telling us here. What, it does, what he does mean when he says this is those, they were examples of genuine faith. It tells us that they had not lived with bitterness and contempt for the Lord. If that had been the case, they would certainly not be described as righteous and blameless. I'm not saying that they never experienced bad days. I'm just saying that it was not part and parcel to their life. They might have been bitter hearted though. And the reason is because of what we learned in verse 7. The couple had no children, Luke tells us. Specifically, he says, Elizabeth was barren. As Kent Hughes notes, in ancient Hebrew culture, barrenness was considered a disgrace. It was considered even a punishment. It was viewed as a sign of a spiritual defect. Yet, as Luke has already told us, Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous in their walk before God. Nevertheless, even though they had lived righteous life, blameless life, they had never been blessed with a child. Now let me pause for just a moment and make this point. I think it's important to recognize that, that sometimes, sometimes, the suffering that we endure in this life does come as a direct result of our sin. Sin has destructive consequences. And we often experience those consequences as we disregard God's desires and His laws for our lives. But that's not always the reason that trouble comes upon us. Sometimes trouble comes upon us not because of our own sin, but because of the sin of others. Things that others do out of the will of God that we suffer the consequences of. Sometimes the Bible says we suffer because God chooses to use that suffering as a means by declaring and establishing His power and His might for others to see. My point is just simply this. We have to be careful not to conflate God's approval of our lives with our blessing. When we do that, we run afoul of what theology tells us in Scripture that God's blessing always accompanies the, the righteous and obedient life. But friends, that's not always the case. Furthermore, we have to resist against the urge on the opposite side 
that seems to just immediately jump to thinking that when something bad happens to us or when difficulty comes into our lives, that that's God's punishment of us. As is clear from this passage, God was not punishing this couple. Rather, as one author has put it, he was actually planning a miracle that would get his people ready for the salvation that he was going to bring. But let's not jump too far ahead in the story. Let's continue on with where we are because you see there's another important piece of information that Luke tells us about there at the end of verse 7. We read that both Elizabeth and Zacharias were well advanced in years. He said, I'm old, she's well advanced in years. In other words, for them, the days of hoping for a child were far over. Since we learned that they were advanced in years, we can kind of start filling in the blanks, can't we? They had prayed, no doubt, for a child for years, even decades. We don't know how old they were, but we do know that because of those decades passing by them, Now the years had taken its toll on their bodies and they weren't expecting God to do anything there. God didn't do anything with people that old, did he? Does he? I can also imagine that for decades they had outwardly and genuinely rejoiced when other couples became pregnant. And yet, no doubt in private, Zacharias and Elizabeth held each other and they cried and they grieved wondering why they had never received such a blessing from God. Their hope seemed gone. They were brokenhearted, but they were not bitterhearted. They were simply a couple in need of a blessing. My guess is that there are some of you who know what that's like. Maybe that you have desired a child, but you've not been able to have one. Though that, though that may be what some of you have dealt with, others of you have had other issues in your life that you've prayed for continually, again and again and again. You've begged God for such things, but up to this point, those things have remained out of reach. If that is the case, then you can identify with this couple. You can identify with where they are. You know what it's like to be in need of a blessing from God. You know what it's like to be brokenhearted. My prayer is that you do, know not, you do not know what it's like to be bitterhearted. And if you do know what it's like to be bitterhearted, my prayer is that you come through that and you learn what it's like to still trust God even in the midst of your brokenness. If you are bitterhearted, hang in there with me. Because we need to understand the next point. Because as we continue to move through the text, the next thing that I want us to understand is this. God's delay does not always mean his denial. God's delay does not always mean denial. You see, the background of verses 5 and 7 actually set us up for what we learn in verses 8 through 10. Namely, that while Zacharias was doing his priestly service in Jerusalem, he was chosen by lot to enter into the holy place in the temple and burn incense. Now, we might miss just how significant this opportunity was if we were not careful. You see, this was a once-in-a-lifetime event for Zacharias. He was chosen as one out of 18,000 priests to perform the greatest ministry of his priestly career. Listen, to be chosen 
to do what Zacharias was chosen to do here by Lot represented the apex. It was the zenith. It was the, the pinnacle of his priestly career. In fact, to be chosen to do what Zacharias is chosen to do here in Luke 1, once you did that, you were ineligible to ever be able to serve in that role ever again as a priest. This was it. This was the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zacharias. And he would have gone and he would have put on those priestly robes and he would have walked through the temple court surrounded by the multitudes that were there. And I can imagine that his heart was just beating out of his chest. What a moment. And as he enters that temple, the holy place, a place he had never seen with his own eyes ever before, he goes in there to offer incense and to offer prayers. But then, as he enters, even though he's never seen the inside before, he knows what to expect. Others have told him what to expect when he gets in there, but he sees something that he knows is not supposed to be there. He sees an angel on the right side as he enters in. And this is not just any angel. This is the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel, as you probably know, had significant fame and significant stature all throughout the Scriptures. Suddenly, the exhilaration of Zacharias' once-in-a-lifetime opportunity is overpowered by supernatural fear. In fact, Luke tells us that he was paralyzed. He says he was ha that he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But Gabriel speaks to him and he says, don't be afraid, Zacharias. He tells him, your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now, wait a minute. What prayer? We haven't read that Zacharias prayed a prayer. We've read about him putting on and going into the temple, but we don't hear about his prayer. What was, was Gabriel referring to all of those prayers that, that Zacharias and Elizabeth had prayed decades earlier when they had poured out their hearts to the Lord, asking him for a child? Maybe they had forgotten all of those prayers, but I would suggest to you that, that God had not forgotten them. God's delay does not mean denial. God had not forgotten this couple. He had not forgotten what they prayed for. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, God has not forgotten your prayers either. He's not forgotten you. Let me also point out, however, that I believe that Gabriel could have simultaneously been referring to a different prayer of Zacharias. You see, when Zacharias went into the holy place to pray, his prayer would have been for the people of God. He was serving them in his official capacity as priest. And the people, they had stood outside. They were praying. They were waiting to see the smoke begin to come up as the incense was, all, was offered on the, the fire that was burning on the inside. And when he prayed, they, the prayer that he would have prayed for them would have been a prayer of salvation for the nation of Israel. You see, they were currently under Roman rule. They were being oppressed by the Romans. They were, they were also waiting for the ancient promises of God that the Scriptures had spoken of to be fulfilled. 
Promises that had been made centuries earlier. They were waiting on that. Listen to me. God's, God's delay does not mean denial. God works in his timing according to his will and his plan. And the people were looking for a Messiah who would come and who would save them. And Zacharias, no doubt, lifted his voice in such a prayer to the Lord. So although we can't be completely sure what specific prayer that Gabriel refers to there in verse 13, we do know that God heard it. Just as he had heard all the previous prayers that Zacharias and Elizabeth had prayed. Zacharias may have forgotten, but God had not. Zacharias may have given up hope, but God was still working in his life. He was not done with him and Elizabeth. God had heard, he had remembered, and now the time has come. Delay does not mean necessarily denial. Notice what else Gabriel tells Zacharias in verses 14 and following. He says, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the mother's womb, his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient of the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Here's the thing. It was amazing enough that Zacharias and Elizabeth were going to have a son. That in itself is a miracle and amazing and worthy of all kinds of joy and thanksgiving. But then we learned that this son was not going to be just any ordinary child. No, no. The son born to this couple would have the hand of God upon him from the very moment that he was conceived in his mother's womb. You see, the hand of God rested upon this child even in the mother's womb. Don't tell me that life does not begin at conception. Right here in Luke chapter 1, we learn that life begins at conception and God's hand was on this child from the very moment that he was conceived and it's part of Gabriel's annunciation to Zacharias. And as a priest, Zacharias would have been familiar with the prophetic words that Gabriel spoke. They were words that the Lord had spoken through the prophet Micah over 400 years earlier. You see... Zacharias would have been familiar with these words. And Micah said, in, and excuse me, Malachi said in Malachi 4 verses 5 through 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Here's the point. When Gabriel announced what he did to Zacharias, he was not only telling Zacharias, that God had heard his prayers asking for a son, but that he had also heard the prayers of his people that were asking for the salvation of Israel. And therefore, as Riken has put it, Gabriel's birth announcement clearly indicated that Zacharias would be the father of the forerunner. And if his son was the forerunner, then the fulfillment was on its way. Malachi also said in Malachi 3 verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger. And he will prepare the way 
before me. Can you just imagine this for Zacharias? This has got to be the greatest day of his life by far. He has just been able to do the one thing that every priest longed to be able to do. He was just given that opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And in the process of doing that, if that wasn't significant enough, then an angel of God, not just any angel, but Gabriel, speaks to him and tells him, look, the child that will come to you and Elizabeth will be the one who is the forerunner of the Messiah. I have heard your prayer, and help is on the way. That brings us to the next thing that we notice in this text. The third point on your outline is this. Doubt seeks proof over promise. Doubt seeks proof over promise. I've never seen an angel, as far as I know. I've never been given a direct message from an angel. I would like to think that if that were ever to happen to me, that I would believe what I was told. Unfortunately, Zacharias, his response doesn't give me much hope. See, he asked in verse 18, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. You see, Zacharias does what is typical of most humans. He looks at the evidence around him and he interprets it in his own understanding. And he says, what you're saying to me does not make sense in light of what I know to be true. And so he asks for a sign, some sort of proof that what the angel had said to him would actually come about. You see, seeing, and in this case hearing, is not always believing. And this is really an incredible scene. Zacharias is an angel speaking to him on behalf of God. And while he's leading the nation of Israel in worship and that same, of that same God in the most holy place, and then Zacharias says, um, I'm, I'm not, I, I just don't know. I don't know if I can believe what you say. And see, in his mind, the age and her, the ages that they had, her barrenness, What I want you to know is that that should stand as a warning to us. This doubt should stand as a warning to every single one of us. Do you see, as one author has put it, you cannot think of your problems as great and God's power as great at the same time. They don't go together. They're mutually exclusive. If you're going to exalt your problems to an elevation that is so high, you cannot at the same time exalt God to the same place. He will not sit on the same throne with your problems. If you become too focused on your problems, you'll fail to hear God's promises and then you will fail to believe in God's power. That really is the definition of doubt. And that's exactly what Zacharias did. He doubted. And to be honest, I'd like to make fun of him if I were not so much like him. As I was even reading this text, I was recalling all of the moments in my life when God had said, this is what I'm going to do. And I said, but wait a minute, you can't do that. I won't ask you for a show of hands of how many times you've done that, but I'm admitting to you how many times I have lived that way. Here's the irony. The very thing that Zacharias had prayed for ended up being the exact thing that he doubted God could do. 
Perhaps Zacharias really didn't believe God could answer his prayers after all. He was a righteous person in the holiest of places, carrying out the holiest of acts of worship, yet he didn't believe God on his word. Maybe you do that too. Maybe you struggle with the validity of God's word. Maybe you question whether or not what the scriptures tell you can actually be trusted and believed. If so, then what you should learn from Zacharias's example here is that God's word is to be trusted. It is more sure than any of the extenuating circumstances that you face in your life. When you have God's promises, you do not need any further proof. I'm going to say that again. When you have God's promises, you do not need any further proof. I love how Luke describes what happens next in verse 19. He paints the contrast between the skepticism of Zacharias and the towering certainty of this angel. I have no idea what Gabriel's face looked like, and I would have loved to have heard his voice, but I do know that what he says here just drips with amazement. It's almost as like, he's like, I'm Gabriel. Do you not know who I am? Do you not know who I work for? Have you no idea where I hang out on a regular basis? He says, I stand in the presence of God and I am sent to you to speak to you and bring you this good news. Buddy, if you want proof, here's your proof. He pressed the mute button. You won't be able to speak a word until everything I have said comes about in its own time. What do you think it would be like if God pressed the mute button on us whenever we failed to believe Him and take Him at His word? It would be a quiet place. To put it a different way, Zacharias wanted proof over promise. He wasn't prepared for Christmas. If we want to look at it that way, Zacharias was not prepared for Christmas. Because he didn't believe that God could step into his life and that God could answer his long forgotten about prayers in out of the box ways. Zacharias didn't believe that. He failed to remind himself of what the scriptures believe. Do you realize that Zacharias would have known the scriptures? He was a priest. Do you not think that he ever thought about, I don't know, Abraham, Sarah? Another older couple who didn't believe that they could get pregnant and yet they did. He had all of that in front of him. The scriptures, the word of God directly to him through the mouth of an angel and yet he refused to believe. You know, as I reflected on this passage, I wondered... If old Zacharias had waited so long on God that he had allowed his expectations to drop too low. Or maybe he just refused to let them get too high. I don't know, but I do know that he just couldn't allow himself to believe that God would do 
what God had said that he would do. And my guess is that there are many of us in this room who can understand that. And even if we won't admit it, we know that it's true. We say we believe that God is able to do above and beyond all that we could ever ask or think, but when, when the rubber meets the road, we have a really hard time believing that God actually will do that. Here's the question. Do you believe that God is able to step into your life and bring joy and blessing where there has been disgrace and disappointment? Do you really believe that God can do that? That's what coming to Christ really means for each one of us. And it brings me to the last little sentence that I want to leave you with today. The last little fourth point there is just simply this. It's faith waits and worships. That's really where we're getting to, right? It's faith that's willing to wait and also worship at the same time. Faith waits and worships. Zacharias was struck mute by the angel Gabriel. All he could do was attempt to communicate through some very rough and quickly learned Sign language, and then according to what Luke tells us, he finishes up his responsibilities, and, and he goes home, and guess what? Elizabeth conceives, just as the, as the angel Gabriel had promised. And what that tells us is that God decided to show his mercy and grace upon Zacharias and Elizabeth in his timing and according to his will and his plan. And as we noted earlier, God's delay does not mean denial, and let me also say, though, while we should never seek proof over God's promises, this is important. We shouldn't seek proof over God's promises, but that does not mean that God's promises will never be proven true. They will be in his timing and according to his plan. And that was certainly the case here. Notice with me what happens. Elizabeth conceives, then we read in verse 24, she hid herself five months, saying, the Lord has dealt with me in these days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. Every couple that has ever found out that they are expecting knows what it's like to have to wait on that child to come. And sometimes it can seem like it's going to take forever for that child to get here. Well, Elizabeth takes five months, secludes herself. There's been all kinds of speculation as to why the five months. There was nothing that gives any indication for that in the past or why. Listen, I just think about it this way. If for someone who had waited to get pregnant for that long finally becomes pregnant, she spent five months just spending time thanking God for it and reflecting on what that was going to mean. And she comes and she prays this, the Lord took away my reproach. She responded to God in faith. As opposed to her husband who responded in doubt, Elizabeth responds in faith. And she did so by waiting and worshiping. Here's what's important for you and I to recognize. What Elizabeth prays in verse 25 is a prayer that each one of us who have placed our faith in Christ can pray. You see, the scriptures tell us that God has looked with favor upon us by sending his son who has come to take away our disgrace. Here's the question. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? The Bible tells us that anyone who places their complete faith and trust in Christ will be saved. God wants us to take him at his word. And he has demonstrated his love for us by sending his son to die in our place. And to be raised from the dead so that we might have eternal life. God has also says those, those who place their complete and total trust in him will never be forsaken. That means no matter what struggles you face. No matter the suffering that you experience. 
No matter the rejection and the ridicule that you experience at the hands of others, God will always be there and He will help you to the very end. That is a promise from God. These promises are yours through Christ. The question is, do you believe them? Are you holding on to them? In the middle of what is the craziest year that most any of us, I think, could say we've ever lived. Are you holding on to God's promises that He is for you and not against you and that He will always be there and you will never be forsaken and you can always trust Him in the middle of even a pandemic? Can you trust God and will you trust God? Are you ready for Christmas? I'm, I'm not going to ask you if you're ready for Christmas if you've got your tree up and your lights up and presence bought I'm asking you if you're ready to receive the one whom God has sent the Lord Jesus Christ are you ready to trust him are you ready to believe in him to believe the promises that he has given you and accept him at his word that is what leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning which is this you see despite disappointments and delays and the temptation to doubt getting ready for Christmas necessitates that we trust God's promises and that we place our faith in Jesus Christ who has come to remove our reproach. That's what it means to get ready for Christmas. And what I want you to know is one of the greatest truths about this story is despite what Zacharias and Elizabeth might have thought, God had not given up on them, nor had he forgotten about their pleas and their prayers and their hopes. God was faithful to them just as he would be faithful to the Israelites and the prayer that they had for the coming of a Messiah. Gabriel's birth announcement and Elizabeth's subsequent pregnancy is a beautiful reminder that we can rest assured that even when when we have to wait for our hopes and our dreams to come true, we can be sure that this does not mean that God is not active and is not at work in our lives. Are you ready for Christmas? If not, I'm going to pray in just a moment. And when I do, I'm going to ask God to reveal himself to you in a very special way this season. That you will open your heart to him and that you will trust him fully and completely for your salvation and and also for every need that you have. If you would like for someone to pray with you as you exit this morning, I want you to know I'm going to be standing in my old office, which is the one on the left, left side as you leave this morning. Pastor Dave's going to be on the right-hand side. Stop by. If you would like for one of us to pray with you, we would love to be able to do that. We want you to know that you are so important to us and that your faith is very important to us. If you're worshiping with us online, we want you to know this as well. And you can get in touch with us and have us pray with you by calling the phone number that's going to appear on your screen. You leave a message there, that message will get to us and we'll call you back because we, we desperately want you to understand that we believe faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important thing that we could ever t- to lead you in and to teach you about. And so would you call and let us know that if you're here and you have questions about it, stop by and allow us to be able to pray with you this morning. I pray that we will all get ourselves ready for Christmas by trusting in God's promises. The promises that he has given to us in his son, the Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. And it is for the people of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. And we thank you for the love that you have shown to us. 
And we thank you for this word this morning that reminds us that your promises are always true and always sure. And I pray that you would prepare our hearts as we wait and as we anticipate the, the celebration of the birth of your son, that we would also be waiting and anticipating your second coming when you will come back to reign and power and glory forever and ever and ever. And so, Lord, I pray that you would instill that hope in our hearts. Help us to believe your word and to walk in that truth. These are the things that I pray and I ask them in the name of Christ and for his sake.